I don't know what the rules are. I've never figured any of this out. Yeah. So. <laughs> but. <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> I don't know, man. Dating is hard. <laughs> Welcome, everyone, to another great episode of the Do Better Dev Show. I am here with your... I'm gonna I'm gonna go with favorite again. Your favorite co-host Nathan Kalink. How are you doing, Nathan? Wow, first and last name today. It's a very special day. Oh. Uh, I'm doing. Sorry, Nathan Kalink, senior, awesome AWS certified specialist host. Yeah, uh, part of that's true. That is my name. I <laughs> I actually put in their most recent show notes. Introduce myself. You were the YAML doctor, and I was the AWS noob. So quite the opposite of what you've claimed there, but, you know, do what I can. I technically do have a certification. It's not senior of any sort, but uh, it's, yeah, doing well, to answer your question. How are you? Well, oh, I'm doing great. I have uh, I have this, like, weird motivational energy this week. Okay. So I'm, like, meeting all my whatever small goals I'm setting. I'm actually even setting up goals, which is, like, a huge improvement to the past couple of weeks where I was just floating through the motions. Mm -hmm. So, pretty good. Yeah. That's good. You know, after, I don't remember if it was during the episode or before, but at one point you were like, and you've not let me introduce you as AWS guy anymore, and then you totally did, so I had no idea what to say. That's true. I am just full of surprises. <laughs> uh, that's why I'm the less famous, that's why I'm the second co-host. I see. Yeah. yeah, the co-host that does all the actual hosting. <laughs> but how was your week? Did anything interesting, frustrating, or cool? Yeah, uh, a couple of cool things, actually. Uh, so I, I've mentioned, I don't know if I mentioned this on the podcast, but you know, mm -hmm. one of my most favorite things in computer science is exponential backoff. So I got to implement that at work. For those who don't know, it's when you slowly back off of a service or a task. So let's say you do task X at one second, it doesn't succeed, you try again in two seconds. Doesn't succeed, try again in three seconds instead of one second gap every time. So really cool, I really enjoy it and it changes. Like just because the name exponent is in there doesn't mean you have to have some power or something, but it's cool, I like it. It's for hitting an API and we're doing it so that we don't overwhelm the API with multiple parallel requests on the exponential side. Uh, speaking of the API, I'm also playing around with Locust, which is a tool we've used in the past. It's great for load testing. I think I've also mentioned this on the podcast sometime early on. And yeah, it's just one of my favorite tools to really spam an API, DDoS attack my own services, make them sad to really, really see what they can do. Um, yeah, and then Another cool thing that I read about, which is not necessarily anything to do with me, but Jeff Bezos is flying into space, man, which is just like the coolest thing. And he like, I, I saw his Instagram post, uh, which was like, he's taking his brother. I think they're going sometime end of this month or next. I don't really remember. It's 25th. It's either June or July, but there he's taking a whole bunch of people. Each ticket, each seat is about three and a half million or something. 
that you can pay and get that seat, go up in the space, and it'll bring you back down, hopefully. So, what... It, it just looked like the coolest thing. And I loved the article, which led me to the Instagram, which was like, technically, since he'll be in space, Elon Musk is soon about to become the richest man on Earth. <laughs> and I was like, <laughs> wonder if he's going to tweet something weird and like just completely mess up the one of the crypto coins or the Tesla stock or whatever. Um, but if he is, I'm going to keep an eye on that. I'm going to hold some of those options and see see what happens. We all know that Elon's tweets have no effect on stocks or crypto. Of course. It's a, they're of course they're all stable. <laughs> Completely. He, did, he has not made me lose a whole bunch of money many times <laughs> by <laughs> just tweeting something out of the blue and people just going to the moon and just completely, yeah. Stock market doesn't work on fundamentals anymore. It used to be like 90% fundamentals, 10%, you know, a little bit sentiment and other things. Now it's just anytime people feel like anything or Wall Street bets goes crazy, it just shoots up. Or Elon Musk tweets or Trump tweets and it dies. I don't know. <laughs> um, but yeah, that was those are some of the cool things. And then a frustrating thing that happened was I learned that Oculus has the store policy where they don't refund in-app purchases, even though the purchase goes through Oculus. So it's like they want, they're taking the side of the developers or whoever, the companies, as opposed to the consumer who may not have enjoyed the product. Uh, so they'll only refund you on like complete games. But if you buy something in the game that you immediately regret, uh, they are not going to refund that which is what I got into a situation about. I bought a new music pack in Beat Saber because I thought it'd be cool. It just sucks. All the songs are really slow and it's sort of not worth it. Um, and you know, for, for a game where speed is everything and you're sort of getting a workout, you don't want to listen to a song with like, I don't know, 80 beats per minute or something. I want something a little nicer, faster. Um, well, yeah, that was essentially my week. How about you? How's your week been? It's been good. So I did have a bunch of notes. Let's see, how many did I... Yes, I got a bunch. Most of them were pretty quick. One of them happened right before we got on this call, which was I was out for a walk. And this is just an interesting random thing. But I saw a couple walking their ferrets. They oh. just had them on leashes. And... It was very bizarre, and and the another person was walking past them, and the lady was like, "Yes, ferrets." And I was like, "She's gonna have to do that all day." I don't know how far they're walking, but every person that walks by is gonna be like, "Are those ferrets?" So they clearly had to answer that question in the half a second that I walked by. So I'm like, yeah, that's gonna be an annoying thing to do, unless that's all they want to do is just have people ask them about their ferrets Maybe. if they're really proud of them. But it was bizarre. I hadn't seen anybody walking ferrets before. I knew people had them as pets, but like I hadn't seen it out in the real world. Uh, so something is frustrating is I went for a long bike ride on the weekend and just reminded me of wind while biking is just the worst. So I already knew this to be the case. And I actually was planning on going biking on, oh, I need to plug in my Mac. So yeah, biking. I was supposed to go, or I was planning on going for a long bike ride on Saturday, and then it was like 40 kilometer winds on the island. 
And I went, well, I'm not biking in that because even just going for a walk is miserable. I definitely don't want to be on my bike while that's happening. And uh, so it was much, much more mild on Sunday. It was like 14 to 20 maybe. And so that was annoying when I was tired on the way back during the most windy areas. But for the most part, it was pretty chill, uh, protected by trees and whatnot. But just the noise, uh, I don't know how people deal with the noise. I know that you can get things that like attach to your, uh, the straps on your helmet. They're cat's ears, I think they're called. And they're like these big fuzzy things that kind of block it. So I don't have any of those. And just hearing the whistling for about three hours while I was biking was just so miserable. So uh, frustrating, wind while biking. Everybody knows, but you know, share the struggle. What do you do? Yeah, exactly. Something cool, I've mentioned this before, I think we both may have mentioned this before, just GitHub Actions, we're using them at work now for one of our new repos. So a while ago, the front end team uh, converted our individual front end services into a single uh, PNPM mono repo so that they could all share utilities without having to push them up to a separate repository and then update all the packages individually from now now they can just share them from one spot uh, and because that meant creating a new repository they reassessed whether or not they needed jenkins for it and they didn't so they went with github actions and now it's just one less piece that you have to worry about when you're trying to deploy your code and see if it passes everything's already in github and you can just see what's going on so that's been nice it's just cool that it's built in and having used GitHub Actions before, it's very easy to configure and easy to work with, very intuitive. And so even for someone who doesn't write a lot of YAML, uh, I can just look at the, the files and see like, yeah, it's much shorter than a typical Jenkins file that I've seen anyway. So that's nice. Uh, this is a random cool thing. I stumbled upon it a few weeks ago and just came to mind before this call. I felt like looking up some uh, to see what George Watsky was up to these days and his most recent YouTube video I think was from a, almost exactly a year ago so I got fooled into thinking it was like very recent but it was actually a year ago but he did a 33 hour 33 minute and 33 second freestyle uh, to get the world record for longest freestyle to raise money for his cancelled tours and some other artists something like that and so it's the quality you'd expect for a 33 hour long freestyle, but it's still cool, especially the final 20, 30 minutes. He's like delirious at that point and the backing track is just super bizarre and he's, he's just going for it. So the fact that anybody would even be able to continue making noise that any human can understand after 33 hours, I think is pretty impressive. So that was a cool thing. And final thing, something interesting, on one of the podcasts I listen to, it's probably my favorite podcast I'm subscribed to, is the Stronger by Science podcast. They mentioned in one of the recent episodes for their good news segment that there was a brain chip, like a microchip put in someone's brain that allowed them to, they were paralyzed and it allowed them to write sentences on a computer so kind of like the Neuralink monkey that I mentioned a few episodes ago, this one was doing something similar, except instead of moving, like 
cursor on a screen, it was converting like hand movements for writing words into words of text on a computer. So it just sounds very cool. Uh, they put it as their good news because they just thought it was cool that he was able to do that as a paralyzed person. But for me, I don't have a good or bad feeling about it. I just think that's very interesting. And so I wanted to share it. Yeah, that's insane. Like with the with the Pong and the monkey, you're like, okay, worst case scenario, whatever they're running underneath, it's mostly processing up and down, right? With handwriting, you don't know what that person's handwriting is or how in their head they picture an A being drawn. We have a million fonts. Each font draws it differently. And however he's drawing it in his head, they're like getting, taking a close enough sample and making that. Yeah. I would, Good thing it's like English and not some other like complicated <laughs> language with like little tilts, like doubts. Yeah, I have no idea what the details are. My speculation is that it's not, it's probably not a generic thing. It's likely been mapped for him. So it's like, mm -hmm. I'm thinking of writing a T and then, all right, let's do that a thousand times and trans, like create a, a network for that. And then once we have this giant network of all the text you could write, then we'll worry about converting it for you. If it's generic, very cool. Uh, if it's not, still very cool. Very cool, yeah. So it's, a, it's the ideas going forward of having, because they mentioned on the show, the idea of doing something like that where you can think of it as text if that's all you can get at this point, but then having it go from text to speech and have somebody with like an earpiece, you could essentially just like hear somebody who's far away from you or wherever. Maybe they can't make a noise. Maybe they, you, they can't communicate with you otherwise. And they can essentially send you messages from their brain into your earpiece, which is pretty cool. Yeah. I'm just sitting there being like, damn, I wish I was as good as Nathan. And then it just, you just hear yeah. it while biking yeah. with all the noise <laughs> and the wind. Yeah, I think I, think, just like, I, think I just heard a compliment. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's just the wind. Uh, so yeah, those, and then I can those, like, are, my, those yeah. are my things for, for the week. There were, almost nothing was to do with me for how my week went. It was just things that I thought of. Oh, yeah, but that, yeah, I mean, that sounds significantly cooler than anything that could have happened to you this yeah, week. Absolutely, so like... yeah. This is the thing. <laughs> when you're subscribed to 30 podcasts or something, they will bring good stuff to you, and then you can share it on your own show. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so now people get it from us. Yeah, somebody. Yeah. Somebody can go and Google this now. Yeah, and if you guys find something cool, let us know, and then we'll just bring it back to you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. In case you wanted a reminder. But that's really cool. And speaking of, you know, your brain doing cool things, how cool is EC2? That was the worst segue, but we're going to roll with it. So today, we're going to, as we mentioned in the previous episodes, we're going to start touching more on different services put out by AWS because there's too many of them. And today we're touching EC2 and everything it has to offer. Yeah, because originally I was thinking, oh, let's pick a handful of services. I proposed three of them to Gian and he goes, well, there's a lot in EC2. We could probably just talk about that. 
So we're going to see how that goes. Yeah, because if, if we run out, then, you know, AWS has 99 other services, EC2 ain't one, and we'll be <laughs> I was about to say there's definitely more than that, and then you finished it, so I, I realized where you were going. But compute, you want elastic. You want to start us off? AWS. You did, a, you did a study thing on it more than a month ago. That's right. So the basics of EC2 is that kind of everything start in AWS sort of starts with EC2. So it, if I'm remembering correctly, is Elastic Cloud Compute. And so, yeah, thanks, Gib. 10 out of 10. <laughs> yes, nailed it. Confidence, too, I can tell. <laughs> uh, and it is exactly, the reason I went with that as the acronym is because conceptually that's what it is. So I assumed that's what it had to be. It is a bunch of infrastructure hardware that you want to rent essentially in the cloud, which is just somebody else's computer, in this case, AWS. So they have racks and racks of infrastructure and you can run your application on that infrastructure through ECS, or sorry, EC2, which is your ability to say, I need to get this, this much hardware for this long at this time, and I need the ability to scale up to this or down to this. These, it gives you a lot of the dynamicism that you can't get when you have to provision your own hardware because they've already provisioned it and then virtually segmented it so that you can get whatever part you need and nothing more and nothing less. Yeah, and if you're coming new to AWS, but I've used the cloud before, it's like the equivalent of having a droplet on DigitalOcean or I think they're called Dynamos on Heroku. Bas yeah, basically what Nathan said, it's a machine they own and you get to decide how much machine you want. You could say I want one computer with four gigs of RAM or you can say I want, I don't know, 10 computers with 40 gigs of RAM and they'll just give it to you. For money. Yes. But they'll give it yeah. to you. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and that's going to be a big part of how you choose the different options that we'll discuss today because a lot of it will do with billing. So if you know how long you're going to need something and roughly how much you'll need, you can make decisions that save you cost versus if you need it right now to test something and you don't know how much you need or how long it's going to be, you can do more on-demand options, which are gonna cost you more per time that you're using it, but you stop paying for it as soon as you don't need it anymore. So there's a lot of different options there. It's very flexible, as I mentioned, and uh, I think we should get into the basics now that we've outlined it. Yeah, yeah, and we'd like to mention AWS is not sponsoring this, sadly. Absolutely not, yes. But, but please do. Because you guys have a lot of money and we don't. So <laughs> if somebody is listening from AWS, listen to us. That'd be a crazy first sponsor. Just this show, this show yeah. is sponsored by AWS. Nice. <laughs> we can skip right over the Ridge wallets and the Raycon earbuds. Exactly. This is like basically we're just doing tutorials, you know? in a very loose format with a whole lot of information before and after that nobody needs to know. Yes. But, <laughs> but pay us AWS. <laughs> um, but yeah, let's, let's actually, I think the, the pricing is probably a good place to start where you were mentioning with the different, because we've already mentioned the basic of, it's a computer, you get in the cloud, mm -hmm. 
what are the different ways? How, how do I paint it? Sure. So how do I know it's different? The simplest one is probably on demand. So just like it sounds, you'll say, I need a machine with this specification. And then you just start paying for it whenever it's running. And when it's not running, you don't pay for it anymore. Assuming you've taken everything down. It's like you've terminated your instances. So there, for terminology's sake, an instance is a allocated piece of hardware for you that is currently running. And if you're using on-demand, you're paying for it. So if you had a, let's say, let's, let's say for example, you were running a Factorio server and you were running it once a month, you could do on-demand pricing where when you and your friends are playing on Factorio, you're going to pay to operate the server. You store that data somewhere so that you can access it later when it spins back up, but then you don't have to pay for it the entire month that you're not using it. So on-demand can work well for something like that because if you're using it three hours a month, you pay for three hours a month. At the other end of the spectrum would be something like provisioned. So provisioned is if, for example, you were going to be making a database and you knew that you were going to need it for three years and you knew approximately what size it was going to be, you can very safely say, I just want this chunk of this size of compute allocated to me. And because you're going to buy it in advance, they will give you a discount. And so that's now going to be yours. You have to pay for it. Whether you use it or not, how much of it you use literally does not matter. You're going to pay for it and that's, that's all. But on a per minute and per compute basis, you pay a lot less. Uh, there are other options in between where you can uh, like scale up and scale down, like horizontal, or sorry, vertically scale up and scale down your provisioned. So I forget the exact terminology for it, but essentially it's like a flexible version of provisioned. And so that's not going to be as cost effective, but it gives you something in between where you're like, I think I know how much uh, like CPU I need, but I might need to bump that up later. You get that dynamic uh, aspect to it, but it's going to cost a bit more. So generally speaking, as long as you know where the ends of the spectrums are, you can probably place your needs somewhere in between those, where if it's completely flexible or very stable, either end is very clear, and then somewhere in the middle, you can just check what their current offerings are, because I'm sure they'll change by the time we publish this. Yeah, probably. <laughs> <laughs> and am I misremembering, but isn't there also some option that you could sell your instance on the marketplace if you've already paid for it up front and you're just like, oh man, I don't really need it anymore. Uh, you can sell it on the marketplace. I don't remember the course getting into okay. that, but again, I just took a course. I have not tried, yeah. I've I, never okay. tried to sell my compute on the market. Yeah, I haven't either, but something like that rings a bell because we looked into that uh, while I was designing a system once. So if we over budgeted, we could have just sold it. Mm. Um, but yeah, don't take our word for it. And you know, if it doesn't exist by the time this episode come out, or if it ever did, I can just use the excuse that AWS changes all the time. Mm -hmm. So yeah, so, okay. I, so I have one more pricing thing. So something mm -hmm. to note too, another way that you can save money even further is if you go with, actually we haven't gotten to instance types yet. So 
I don't think we need to worry about that unless we want to go straight into instance types from pricing. Let's talk about instance types. Right. So I know how I can pay. What what am I paying for exactly? That's the thing. It all depends on what instance type you get. So if Whoa. if you go with, for example, a spot instance type, then that is an instance type where you say, I'm willing to pay this much per hour for this amount of compute. And if as long as the price available or sorry, the price for available instances is below that, then you can get your on-demand instance at that time. So again, if we go back to your Factorio server that I'm imagining, then if you're in the middle of playing and suddenly the price, there's too much demand and the price goes above whatever you're willing to pay, your instance will be terminated because you don't get to have it anymore. But, because <laughs> somebody else is willing to pay more for that at that time. But, on the flip side of that, you save a ton. It's like 90% cheaper than if you are not using spot pricing. So in other words, it's really a really good way in the real world to, to work with uh, jobs that can handle being stopped and started, that are sort of like running background tasks or something like that. Things that can handle interruptions and don't, aren't mission critical you can save a ton of money on your infrastructure using something like that. Uh, there's also uh, cluster pricing. I have no notes right now, so I'm gonna to try to remember these. Uh, you have clusters, so that's really good for, and what it does is put a lot of your hardware close together. So it gives you less um, protection from damages. So if your, you know, if your rack explodes, then all of your infrastructure's gone or all of your hardware is gone in that cluster because it's very close knit, but you get really high, really low latency connections. So the thing where this always, or the point when this always came up in the exam was anytime they mentioned high performance computing, I'm like, all right, are we talking about instance types? It's gonna be cluster because that's what they're really good for. Uh, and then you've got like partitioned and some other kind of spread. I was about to say some other kind of spread out instance, spread instances. And so they are similarly spread across multiple racks or completely separately uh, dispersed so that within that one data center, the whole data center has to have an issue as opposed to one rack having a particular issue where your system fails. So it's really about, it's a choosing your instance type is going to be based on your performance needs, the fault tolerance that you can accept, how much you're willing to pay, and uh, your, I guess, I guess fault tolerance falls under availability. So um, those, those are the primary considerations. Very cool. Um, yeah, I was thinking with instance types, you were gonna like roll into M5s, different, different types, but As I guess they're instance classes, aren't they? I would even remember what they were. I just remember T <laughs> T2 micro. That's all I need to know. Uh, but that's the free tier. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> that's that, yeah. That's the whole point. But uh, but no, th those are those are something else entirely. Not instance types. So yes, those. Yeah, but very very important things to like remember when you're trying to scale down cost without scaling down infrastructure a lot, uh, like. If you want to know how to like really build large scale services cost effectively, subscribe to the Netflix blog because they put out a lot of this information and they use AWS 
they mentioned a whole bunch of things Nathan just mentioned of they were able to cut down a lot of costs by using like reserve instances, spot instances. Um, yeah. There are people whose consulting jobs are essentially to come in and save everybody money on their AWS bill. <laughs> so your company is almost certainly paying more than it needs to. So looking into it can be a good way to get a return on that invest that time investment over years and years to come. Yeah, frugality is an important principle <laughs> to have in mind. And yeah, I've definitely done that in the past. Uh, and the client was extremely happy because I cut down their costs quite a bit, which was easy because all I had to do is scale down their server. I'm like, this is, this is way too much. Your CPU is like 20%, man. <laughs> Pay less. <laughs> you don't need a C5 instance. Um, speaking of instance types, uh, we have... Uh, on EC2, depending on however much. So they have, at the very higher level, they have all of these instances. Let's say they they have general compute. They have things that are better with CPU, things that are better with RAM, things that are made completely for storage and insane set of storages. Then they have other instances that are high good in, um, high good, <laughs> uh, <laughs> in GPU and all sorts of everything you can think of as far as hardware goes they probably have a separate category for it so depending on your needs you could really drill down into it for example if you need 128 gigs of ram but don't necessarily need all that cpu instead of going for a normal instance you may want to go for memory optimized and lord knows why you need 128 gigs but if you do good for you maybe you're i don't know building the biggest redis cluster there ever was <laughs> um but yeah i find them really cool and there's this um i don't even know it's like not owned by aws but there's this it used to be called ec2instances.info i know they've changed the domain because they did get acquired by somebody but it's it gives you this tabular view of every single ec2 instance that exists with the pricing and you can compare them across uh, different things. So when you go into the AWS's official page on EC2, it'll give you the pricing based on location and the instance and its information. But there's no way to like select it and compare it against different one unless you take your own notes. So that, that website used to really help me out. Um, I'll probably find the link, put that in the show notes if anyone's interested. Um, but it's it's my favorite tool to use. and very very important to do your homework on the instance type because it'll make or break your application um, yeah like I, I remember having having to deploy something that was extremely high on CPU and I gave it a T instance and T instances are not made for CPU usage no, they're pretty general they are they're a very general B they have CPU credits so if yeah. you use too much CPU you run out of credits and then it starts just like capping your usage. Yeah, so that's something to explain. Do you are you able to explain how the like burstable versus non-burstable stuff works? Yeah, sure. So in just yeah, I'll I'll just lay it out in very simple terms. So AWS on their T instances have burstable CPUs where they give you this little credit every hour or so. Uh, that you accumulate and let's say you've accumulated 120 CPU credits now if your instance gets a whole bunch of traffic out, out of nowhere 
it is able to go above 100%, which is just insane to think of, but it does. It goes way up above its uh, instance capacity because all of this is running on their large clusters and applications. And until it runs out of the credits, it will serve the high load traffic. And then the moment it runs out of traffic, it'll go back to its normal, whatever instance usage is. And then slowly over time, you accumulate it again, then you expense it. And at that point, just get a cluster or a C uh, instance that's CPU heavy because you're clearly in a need of it. Yeah, but it can catch you so off guard. You, out of nowhere, your application will just stop performing and you will have no idea until you realize, you look at the little cloud formation graph and it's just like, oh, by the way, you ran out of credits. You're like, dang it. So they even have like unlimited burstable credits option on T instances, but they just seem absolutely useless because they incur extra charge. I was gonna say, you basically just pay a bunch to not make better decisions. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and AWS seems to be really good for that. They're like really nice on, hey, just pay us and we'll, we'll take things off your hands. And you know what, don't do that. They're great, but do better. Learn how their system works and use it to your advantage. Yes, and another thing to note there is IO as well, because IO will scale with, depending on which type you're dealing with, it may be directly or loosely related uh, to, to the size of your instance. Um, so there's some where it's like, uh, you know, gigabyte per gigabyte actually matters versus like, generally speaking, above this, it is no longer increasing in IO. So if you have particular IO needs, make sure that you provision enough compute to actually serve that IO based on the type that you've chosen. Yeah, and yeah, and especially if you have, let's say, a service like Nginx or something running on a server, make sure it's one of the ones that have higher internet bandwidth. So look for the ones that have higher internet, Ethernet throughput, because if not, doesn't matter how good your Nginx is, it'll just block it at the network card level and you're sort of screwed. Yeah, so be very careful. Listen to Nathan. Nathan. Nathan is good. <laughs> this is an area that I cannot confidently speak about. <laughs> but you've spoken nothing but the truth so yes. far. So these are all facts. Nice. This is our. This is my opinion, but these are facts. Right. Now, this is, I think, what's going to yeah. crush me if I decide to do the sysops admin exam at some point. Because uh, I'm going to have to try to... I assume I'll have to learn all this stuff in depth. And I suppose at that point I'll know a lot more of this other stuff, so maybe it'll be fine. Exactly. Yeah. And it's a lot of fun. And you know what? At, at the end of the day, when you sit in that exam, just be like, Gan thought I was good enough. And then I'll just be like, cool. <laughs> right. Here's your certificate. Go right. home. <laughs> You're doing better at life. Um, yeah, so while, while we're mentioning all sorts of I.O., talk to me about the storage. What does storage look like in EC2? Sure, yeah. So you can do generally speaking, two broad categories. So you can have hardware-linked uh, storage or network-linked storage. So with an instance, you automatically get what's called an instance store. And so that's completely ephemeral storage that gets destroyed when the instance is terminated. Uh, not when the instance is hibernated, though, and there are lifecycle hooks. So if you need to store their the temporary data or log files or something, 
uh, before it terminates, you can hook into the lifecycle and be like, go send this somewhere so that your logs are still persistent so you can debug why it crashed or whatever. Uh, but that's essentially what it's for. Instant store is going to be very um, low latency because it's hardware connected, but it's meant to be temporary, completely ephemeral, destroyed when the instance is destroyed. On the other side of that, there's network storage, which is separate from your instance and connected over a network. So it'll be more latency, but it gives you a lot more freedom to now disconnect and reconnect to different instances. Don't podcast next to the intersection, everybody. <laughs> uh, it allows you to disconnect from one instance and connect to another, connect to multiple instances in certain cases, depending on what you're using. And it allows you to, or sorry, I'll just go into them. There's elastic block storage and elastic file system. So block storage is virtual drives, it's block storage. And a file system is a Unix file system. So you have to use other types of file system, so they, it follows the network file system, the NFS protocol, and then if you have Windows machines, you have to do special Windows machine specific things. Otherwise, if you're in Unix land, you can just live in the network file system protocol and everything works more or less the way you'd expect it to. But generally speaking, those are your two, and you're probably gonna be using Elastic block storage most of the time, unless you're trying to do some sort of hybrid solution with file systems or uh, backing a bunch of stuff through S3. So that is one thing you can do with EFS that's, that can be cool, is you can have it backed by S3, store a bunch of your data there, and then use it sort of as an intermediary connection so that your instances can behave as though they're talking to a file system when in fact they're connecting to S3. What, do you, what yeah. did you think of that? <laughs> that sounded cool. It covered everything that I could think of. Um, yeah, uh, like some gotchas that I've run into before that I'll mention. Um, EBS is extremely good and use it every single time. As compared to on instant storage, you won't notice a lot of uh, lag when you're writing to EBS versus on instance. And if you ever lose access to your instance because you've misplaced the SSH key or something really bad has happened to it, you'll be extremely grateful you had EBS because you can just attach that drive to a different smaller instance, recover all your data. I, I will not mention the amount of times I have lost my SSH key <laughs> and just had to recreate new ones uh, and just saying, oh my God, EBS is a lifesaver. Um, the, the network storage, um, I, I feel like they're, they're good, uh, but I've never had to sort of use them. Um, I'm sure there is a use case, that's why they exist, and Windows doesn't always necessarily play extremely nice with just block storage coming in and out. So a file store, a network storage makes sense to me, um, and in general, like, Block storage is you keep it with one instance, whereas file system you can or network storage you can share it with as many instances as you want because it's just sitting in a network drive. So yeah, things like those keep an eye, but really see how you can divide them when you mount the drives uh, because there is a lot of things 
you may not necessarily need that you write to your instant storage uh, because if it's lost you don't care however if it fills up the instance will start dying because there is no more storage on it and you will be caught in this weird loop so if you are storing stuff on the instance make sure you have cleanup scripts because EBS and EFS you can scale out but on instant storage will get stuck and your only solution would be to destroy and recreate a new instance which depending on your deployment strategy could completely ruin your system so look out for those kind of things yeah and a couple quick notes there are specific implementations for example for windows or for high performance computing so like you don't need to figure it all out on your own there is i believe uh, nfx for windows i think it's just what it's called f and fsx something like that some combination of f's and s's uh, for windows and that will give you an implementation that is compatible with windows so that you don't have to again worry about hand spinning your own solution and if you need to do something like high performance computing they have something called luster um, so fsx for luck luster and that will be a, cl a linux cluster which is where luster comes from and you just get really high performance network file system or yeah network file system so you can do a lot of specific implementations if the general concept sounds like, oh, that's what I need. There's probably a specific implementation that you don't need to solve yourself, and you can just take one off the shelf. It's one of the benefits of working with a solution like AWS is that they've tried to solve a lot of problems, and then they just make you pay for it, like, like you said. Yeah, and that, that makes sense, you know? They're just like, we did all this work, so you don't have to, um, but if you don't want to, pay us. <laughs> that's right. You can, we're not tying your hands, but yeah. Okay, so I have all this information, I'm writing to it. Is there any way I can like store some configuration ahead of time so that every time an instance spins up, I already have that kind of software and things installed? You know, you know uh, there is, there are in fact. There are, there are two, two main ways that I know of that you can do this sort of thing. So the first one is, the completely dynamic, do it every time, but it's pre-configured, which is user data. So when your instance spins up, you can set it to run a bunch of commands through user data scripts, and that can do things like install dependencies, pull things from other uh, locations, do whatever setup you need for your instance. At some point, you may look at your user data and say, we're duplicating a lot of stuff here that we don't need to do every time, a lot of this stuff static. I wish this was already installed on the machine. This is taking too long to start up our instances. Those problems point to that you should probably make a golden AMI. So at that point, you get a Amazon machine image. That's what AMI is, right? Yes. Yeah. So which Ami? <laughs> which is an image of the instance that you would like to base, or an image that you would like to base your instance on. So it allows you to pre-install a bunch of, for example, static files. You can say like, I want all of this to already exist on my instance. I don't want to download it every time the instance starts. We'll bake this into the image. And then when we start our instance, everything's already set up, already configured, the stuff's there. And then in your user data, you only need to do the stuff that's actually dynamic. And then there's ways for it to do it very dynamically where it can look up its own uh, user data and metadata and stuff. 
and do things as necessary to configure itself. But generally speaking, you can get a lot of the heavy lifting done with an AMI, which before the call, you said were great. So tell me why you think they're great. Oh, they're, they're great because let, let's say some, this might be more relevant to anybody coming from a more like dockers and containers background, but Docker images, how great are they? They're, they're great. Any, right? And that's why AMIs or how a terrible person would say AMIs are great. You put everything in it and it's not like configuration. It's an image. It's a snapshot of actual operating system that has all the information. So the next time you spin up an EC2 instance and you don't have the excuse of, well, it works on my machine. Because guess what? All the machines are exactly the same and you may want to do that in an enterprise environment where you want to make sure it is a certain version of CentOS, certain version of YAM, certain version of whatever rsync that you're using even. And a lot of these configurations, you don't want to fetch dynamically every time because A, they're repetitive, B, they might change. If I do a YAM install every time they start, it's, it's bad. We had this about a year ago Postgres either changed one of its uh, defaults or required a new argument. I don't know exactly which one it was, but we had to actually add to our config files um, either the Postgres user or the Postgres password for our test, uh, test builds to run. And so, you know, two hours before everything worked and then you push something up to Jenkins without changing any code and now nothing works. So having these sorts of things locked in where it's not dynamically fetching the latest version of Postgres can save you a lot of those problems in a real world enterprise environment where you don't want things to have changed from the time you did all your testing to the time you do your actual shipment. Yeah, it's like always using NPM CI when you have the package log JSON. Everything's just <laughs> reserved, it's there, use it. It's so good, so yeah, AMI. <laughs> Are, Let's not are a great say thing. That. <laughs> yeah, if if anybody has a problem with me saying it, Ami, I do too. Come fight me. I don't care. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Glad we cleared I'm that just, up. Yeah, just like feeling rebellious. Um, <laughs> so okay, so I have all these AMIs, mm -hmm. and they're running on all of these instances. Are there other things I can configure, set up some sort of launch configuration, perhaps? <laughs> I don't know why this became like a weird prompting interview uh, where, <laughs> where I have to be tested on my AWS knowledge. But yes, there are launch configurations and launch templates from which you can base your images or your uh, instances. So. Obviously, as I mentioned, there's user data. I believe the user data is part of your launch configuration, launch template. But essentially, there's a bunch of stuff that you need to tell Amazon about in order for it to know how to launch your instance. And that goes into a launch configuration, which is write-only. You write it once, and then you can't change it again. So I guess write once, read many. And you can't, uh, and then with a launch, template, you can change. So at least from a user perspective, you don't have to go in and delete your launch template after you create your new one, which is what you have to do with the launch configuration. So the templates are the newer versions, configurations are the older versions, essentially. But they do more or less the same thing. It tells AWS 
how you would like to configure a bunch of stuff for your instance, such as user data. Uh, did we confirm whether or not that was where you put your mins and your maxes for replica sets? Um, I think there are target groups where you put it. I'm not still sure yet. Sure yet. Okay, well that's yeah. fair enough. We put a bunch. You put yeah. a bunch of stuff in your configuration that allows it to launch. And if you have configurations, as I mentioned, you have to delete them. You can't change them in this on, in place, and it won't dynamically change the instances that are launched. Uh, whereas if you have a configuration or a template. You can update those, but you still have to relaunch new instances. It's not going to dynamically change them. But essentially, everything that you wouldn't put in your AMI, you just throw in a configuration. Yeah, and the great thing about using launch configuration with the. Um, okay, this conversation assumes auto scaling is part of launch configuration because neither Nathan nor I can remember if they're separate things at the moment. But the the thing I want to mention why they're so great is once you update your launch configuration and you say at all times I want a minimum of two instances you can go in and just delete one of the instances and it'll spin up a new one and then you do that to the other one and it's just so convenient because you don't have to do anything else or think about how I'm going to replace how I'm going to do any of the swapping you just you delete it and then it's like oh crap the instance doesn't exist, I must create it, and then it creates it, and it's awesome. Yeah, so for anybody who missed that transition there, the minimum is the number of instances that should be running, the maximum is the maximum number that should be running, and so when there's auto-scaling involved, it'll buffer between those, but in general, if you have a minimum of two, and then it checks and sees there's only one, it's going to create a new one. So if there's only one because you just terminated one of them, it does not care that you terminated it, it's still gonna look at it and say, I need to have two, and it'll make two. And if somehow you spin up a bunch more, it's gonna start killing them to get back down to the maximum that you uh, set. So there's, it can be a lot more dynamic than that, but that's apparently something that people find very confusing. Like I terminated the instance, why is there still an instance? It's a new one, because you said there had to be at least that many, it's just making sure that that's the case. Yeah, so if you want to get rid of all of your instances delete the configuration first yeah <laughs> or or it's going to cause you so much grief yeah and that's another um, thing to note just in general if you're using aws it doesn't do a lot of cleanup for you like if you just start removing things it's not going to go back and say oh you also had this setup i'm going to remove it for you so if you go removing things your instances are certainly still running and if you try to remove something that is a dependency of something else it's going to tell you you can't remove this something else is using it and that's assuming it can actually tell not if they're like speaking to each other over a network that it otherwise has no idea in that case your other thing will just start failing but if it knows that they're related it'll say you know this is currently using this you cannot remove it and then you have to go remove track it down remove that thing then you can come back and do it so I know that when I first started trying to deploy stuff on AWS, cleaning up was a real nightmare because I would think I'd cleaned everything up and then I'd be billed three cents for the month and I'd be like, what did I miss? Uh, so just be aware, there is no, generally speaking, automatic cleanup unless you're using like stacks or something. Yeah, and like if you mess up and it's somehow incurring you small charges, their support is pretty decent. You can just say, hey, I had no idea, help. And they do it. 
The only thing I'm worried about or the thing I complain about there is they must get hundreds if not thousands of requests like that. So at some point maybe they have to have a version of a cleanup service or something, something that, you know, doesn't make people use it that way. And it is because AWS is a little bit more complicated than you would expect for somebody just beginning to learn. And so you have this new person trying to learn and they spin up these instances to create a Hello World app and then they forget to kill it. And they're in college and $2,000 with the AWS bill slaps them in the face. <laughs> what did <And> they provision? <laughs> I don't know. They provisioned a GPU one to um, run their math homework through Wolfram Alpha or something. Right. I don't know. Yeah. They, they were mining bitcoins because their friend told them it's the way to okay. go. Well, then they deserve that bill. Right? That's true. Because it's not even worth... You can't, I don't even think you can even do that on the cloud instances. Mm. Um, yeah, because, you know, that would just eliminate all of your electric and a whole bunch of other costs. But um, anyways, don't mind Bitcoin on AWS. <laughs> That's our lesson. That's our advice. <laughs> yeah. lesson from this if show. You, if you do and somehow make it profitable, hit me up because I'd be very grateful. <laughs> so would the entire gaming community. They want their GPUs back. <laughs> Yes, yeah. So many GPUs being so expensive. It's like PS5s are the new GPUs. They just are gone before they even hit the market. Scalpers, miners. But not like miners underage. I mean like... They might also be underage. That's true. They might be a minor miner, but not a minor miner. Correct. Yeah. (laughs) So moving on to EC2, the only thing uh, left on my list now, um, actually I have two things. Uh, One of them is being key pairs. So when you create an EC2 instance, it'll ask you to create a pair so you can SSH into the server. If you don't know about SSH, it's just a way of communicating and running commands on your server, interacting with it. It's a very cool protocol. Please look it up. Please do not run a Linux server unless you learn what SSH is. And yeah, it's super, <laughs> super cool. And don't lose your key because AWS has no other way of accessing the instance if you lose your key. And it's going to be very bad and you'll be very sad. So don't do that. Yeah. And honestly, like just download the key and don't get rid of it. And like, I don't know. That sounds like great. You've, you've said that you've lost keys and I'm just like, where could they go? Well, because I would switch computers, and when I'm copying over information, I don't necessarily always go into my home folder, grab my SSH folder. Right. Okay. I'm just like, I need these three terabytes of movies and homework folder, but I don't need my SSH (laughs) folder. So, you know, that causes issues on my work computer all the time. I see. So, yeah. Yeah, because I was just trying to imagine day to day, like, what would I be doing that would cause me to lose my keys? But no, I suppose if you're switching machines and not thinking about that exactly um i I mean LastPass has a great ssh key section that i could just throw my keys into so i definitely do that now but beforehand yeah look at that solving the world's problems (laughs) is there anything on on your list about what's left on under ec2 my list was just ec2 that was all i put on there all right cool so what i'll (laughs) I'll go back to our original format. Nathan, yeah. is there any way to control access to all these instances? 
is there some sort of group that's secure maybe uh, to allow or disallow access to my beautiful machines mining Bitcoin? I'm so glad you asked. <laughs> yes, there's a thing called security groups, Gan. Whoa. And so they're actually, they've caused me a lot of grief when I was learning, but conceptually, they're like the best. So imagine that you just wanted to have a, a rule set for what something's allowed to do, what it can communicate with, what traffic it should allow in, what it should allow out, who it should talk to, who it shouldn't talk to. That's essentially what you get to do with security group. And the nice thing about security groups is that they can point to other security groups. So you can have security group A and assign it to a bunch of instances. And like, so those instances are now in that security group. You can have another couple of instances in security group B. And you can say, all right, security group A can talk to security group B and security group B allows traffic from security group A. Now, any instance that's added to security group A can talk to security group B. Doesn't matter what ports they're on or anything because they already know that they can talk to each other. And you don't have to worry then about a lot of the other stuff that goes on with allowing, you know, from all IPs, traffic 80 or, or sorry, port 80 from all IPs or like making sure that your IP is allowed to SSH into your container, uh, which that you will have to sort that out at some point. With, uh, otherwise, you won't be able to connect unless you're using their, their AWS terminal thing that they've added some, somewhat recently. Uh, but generally speaking, those are the problems you have to deal with, a lot of like IPs and ports. But as soon as you get to reference security groups themselves, things become a lot more dynamic it's a lot easier to just tell what's going on. You don't care what IP each instance has, private or public. None of that matters as far as security groups go because you can say security group allows traffic from this security group, doesn't allow traffic from this other one. Minim generally, the goal is minimum amount of uh, traffic allowed to do what's supposed to be done. So if you don't need to allow traffic from this other security group, just don't allow it until you need it. Because generally speaking, you just don't want things communicating that shouldn't be communicating. Exactly, yeah. That was very well put. Yes. I'm just like grading you right now. I know, now. I can tell. Um, this feels like a test. <laughs> I didn't expect this when I came into this call today. <laughs> but I have to keep you on your toes or you'll get bored out of this podcast and then you leave and I'll be the only co-host, which will be weird because I'll be the only host, mm -hmm. you know? Um, but yeah, and like a good example that I generally use for explaining security groups like that is you have a security group A that allows access from the outside world that goes to your, your instances that are running your app. Then you have security group B that only allows access uh, to your database and it's not open to the world. So what you do is you say, okay, security group B, allow any access from security group A, which is your computers. And your computers now have access to the database, outside world doesn't, and outside world only accesses to your API. And huzzah, you have the super secure, state-of-the-art <laughs> computer science magic made by doing nothing. Not to mention VPCs and subnets, but yeah, we'll do a separate episode <laughs> of that. This was just EC2, uh -huh. and yeah, that's that's all I can think of. Uh, this is everything about EC2. If you guys think we've missed a service or something you wanted to talk about more, uh, I don't know, DM us. Yeah, message again. 
Miss, yeah, because apparently Nathan Nathan is just not up for it. So no. you know what? Piss him off. Message him. No. Who cares? <laughs> <laughs> Open challenge to the internet. Oh, no. <laughs> to to message Nathan. <laughs> um, and before you know, all of this ruins your upcoming weeks. What did you do better on Hey, Nathan? all right, all right. Now I get to talk about other stuff again. So, <laughs> uh, things I did better. Um, I did pick up a, for camping, because I pick, had to keep picking up camping gear, I got a water treatment solution. So, I ended up just getting a, a bottle that filters appropriately. So, I'll be able to just fill it up from streams or whatever and then drink it. So, hopefully I don't get super dehydrated or anything and find appropriate water sources while I'm out there hiking. Uh, I guess that was something I did better last week. Let's remove that. But I did start the AWS developer course. Uh, it is the first seven sections or so apparently are just uh, like repeats. Like I could skip it if I wanted to from the solutions architect course, but I'm gonna take them all again because I need the review and I'm sure that it will help just, if not jog my memory, cement some of the stuff that I already kind of know. And on the weekend, I biked out to Gowan Todd Provincial Park for the first time and did the Jocelyn Hill loop via the Emma Dixon Trail. So I hadn't been out to that park at all, let alone biked there, and it was a good experience other than the small amount of wind on the ride home. But that was a, that was a good day because I was trying to trying to keep it around like four to six hours total and ended up being five and a half. So it was about what I was looking for as far as like biking and hiking, just to try to get into reasonably good shape before some longer planned hikes for the summer. Because I made that mistake last year of going straight from, I'm a power lifter to let's go hike King's Peak. And it was rough. So trying to do better this time. And speaking of do better, there's a, there's a, a segue you should be proud of. Oh, I am. I'm super proud. <laughs> you already are doing better. Right. <laughs> Did better, not ripped. Uh, I need to pick up a hiking pack. So a backpack, because my current backpack, while it's great for fitting it under the seat in front of you on an airplane and for hiking when I went to Switzerland because I was going hostel to hostel, I now need to carry like a tent and such if I want to sleep overnight somewhere. And uh, it's not gonna work in that little tiny bag. So I need a proper one, so I'm gonna have to do that. And this one's a bit weird, but I'm gonna stop using Duolingo as one of my do-betters. Reason being, today is day 600 of my streak for Duolingo. I, as you can tell, I started 600 days ago because I haven't missed a day since I started. And I am very able to do this indefinitely, but it's so stupid. Like I am past the point of getting anything good out of Duolingo and it's filling a, a block of time every day that could be something productive. Like if I want to learn French, this is not my strategy at this point, 600 days in. It's a point of diminishing returns. 
And the only reason I'm still doing it currently is because I have a big number and I've been doing it for 600 days and I'm like, I should keep doing this. Like I got to the Diamond League, which is the highest league because there was a league system. I was gonna to try to get to the top one and I've gotten the achievement legendary, which is literally number one in the Diamond League. So I had the most points of anybody one week. I don't need to have this app. <laughs> <laughs> and I need to actively say day 600 is my last day. I'll get the 600 number and stop there intentionally because if I just wait till a day I miss it, it's not it's going to be too long before that happens and I might just keep doing this. So, active stance I know I decided when I was about like 570. It's like day 600 needs to be my last day. I'm going to stop that and then I can put my efforts as far as French goes towards something actually helps me as opposed to Duolingo which has kind of lost its uh, benefit at this point. Um, it's okay for learning some new words but there's just a point of diminishing returns that I'm well past. So those are my uh, my main do-betters. I did have one thing. I bet you could like... Go ahead. I bet you could sell your account somewhere <laughs> on like eBay or something. So for like 600 day streak, who wants to buy it? <laughs> the weird thing is just random people started following me recently. I'm like, why are you, why, why do people do this on language? Because you're top of, top of the league. <laughs> they want to be around you virtually. Right, yeah. Because I'm the only one around here that takes league play seriously. Yeah. So I think I have one other thing because it wouldn't be a do better dev show without me talking about Rocket League. So, <laughs> I specifically held off to the end of this. One of the things I did better was I kept getting this series recommended to me by the YouTube algorithm. And so I was like, finally, I'll just accept that I should watch this from my overlords. And it was a one, it was called 1v1 Without Mechanics by a guy named Flakes. And his entire series is he's going to go into 1v1 games and use like dirt tier mechanics. So in other words, like no skill as far as ability to do things. He basically, for the first for the first three episodes, where he got up to like high diamond or high plat, maybe diamond, he basically just drove around and single jumped. So like in this game, you can you the basic the most basic thing you can do is drive and then do a front flip. And he didn't even do that. He just drove around and he would do a single jump. And all he's doing is winning based on positioning and confusing the opponents. And so he's he's an abrasive personality, but after an episode or two, I kind of got used to it. And he's essentially just like, he also doesn't make it because he's a pro or he was a, he was a pro. He, uh, he wants to make it so people take it seriously as opposed to thinking like, oh, well, I couldn't make that shot. So he will literally be driving the ball towards an empty net because the opponent, he tricked the opponent and is just driving towards it. And he's like, but I know you all suck, so you're gonna miss the shot. So I'm gonna hit it into the corner. And he just like misses the open net. And essentially it taught me a lot. And I immediately went on and won a bunch of 1v1 games because I just played like that. Because instead of accidentally giving up the ball, trying stuff I shouldn't try, I was just like, well, if he can win by literally driving around, if I choose to at least front flip occasionally, I'm sure I can win. And it worked great. I got like four forfeits in a row and then a victory, and then I lost a couple. Then I sort of 
took a break and remembered you're getting overly excited here. Go back to just driving around and doing single jumps. And uh, then I won a bunch more games. So I'm going to keep doing that and see how it goes. Wow. Yeah. I was pretty excited. That's... Wow. <laughs> how about you? That is crazy. It's like the most... Just back to basics, man. Yeah. Yeah, it's actually... It's so bizarre because his explanation for everything is like at one point he had the the guy was in his own corner like flakes is a his net the guy's in flakes corner with the ball and he just like turns the camera towards the guy and the guy's like jumping at the ball and it's popping in the air and then he's driving in circles and trying to catch it and he's just like what's this guy doing because like he's just sitting there doing nothing waiting for him to figure his life out and Flakes is winning by a couple goals at that point, so he's not in a rush. But he's like, people do this. Like, I know you people watching, you would be chasing the ball right now with him. Just sit here and wait. He'll eventually give it to you. And then, yeah, the guy hits the ball, really bad shot at the net. It just slowly rolls towards Flakes, and he just drives it towards the other guy's net. He's like, this is why you guys can't win, because you play against the ball chaser, and then you chase the ball with the ball chaser. He's like, just wait for them to get tired and give it to you. (laughs) That's pretty much what happens. Wow. Yeah, that's like excellent life advice. Really, think about it. Yeah, just be patient. It's gonna apply to everything. Don't chase. <laughs> just wait. <laughs> just wait. We'll see how that works. Just wait. Mm. just wait and manifest. I don't know if I approve. <laughs> what are you manifesting okay. to do better next weekend? Ah, uh, I'm loving this so much. <laughs> Keep this energy forever. <laughs> it was just spiking. Um, like okay. <laughs> So first, see that's the, I, I bet it's more annoying for you because it's really hard to annoy me. That's <laughs> <laughs> fair. Uh, so yeah, so what I did better um, was I finally put out that blog post for the Holy new Better Club. smokes. I know. I, this is what, what I mean with that energy of motivation. I just sat down and did it. <laughs> that, that was it. Good job. Because I knew for the longest time what I wanted to write. I knew how I wanted to get it done, but I was just kept relying on, oh my god, I must be motivated. Oh my, something needs to happen. And then my head was just like, nothing's gonna happen. Just do it. And I was like, okay. And so I did it, <laughs> <laughs> which is pretty great. And now I'm trying to just put, use that mindset towards everything. I just sort of just like. Okay, if I keep thinking I have to do it, I'm not going to do it. But if I just tell myself I'll do it, I did it, I'll probably just do it more easily. That was not a good grammatical coherent sentence, but who cares? Yeah, do better next time. Um, I'll do better next time, exactly. I will do better <laughs> next time. And you know what? It's going to happen. Um, yeah, I in, and there was a lot of work, so didn't necessarily do anything else. Went out for a walk on the weekend because now I have to go out every weekend thing so I went like a little farther and certain sections of Vancouver were rainy and the section I ended up in was rainy so whatever I enjoyed it um, and yeah continuing to work on my pull-ups not massive success so far um, now I can do like seven but then it's back to like seven six five or seven seven five. It, the last set is just not moving past five, um, and I'm like losing more on my grip. So I think I need to work more on my grip strength a little bit more. Um, yeah, 
And then what I'm going to do better is I'm going to try to do a little bit more social presence on the the dev show Insta page and the do better club page. Mm. So I'm thinking on the do better club, I can put my face, maybe record some things and stuff because it's a little bit more free form uh, on the dev show. I'm going to see if I can like steal some clips from our uh, videos, something that looks, you know, gives a little glimpse. Um, or it'll just be me doing a Fortnite dance. I don't oh, know. God. I'll figure it out. <laughs> just take away all the followers <laughs> we already have. Maybe we'll win a bunch of, I don't know, kids in STEM, you know, wanting to learn technology. They're like, oh my God, this guy does a Fortnite dance. He must really know the coding. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah, that's, I think, what they all think. Exactly, yeah. So, so yeah, I, w- I want to give it a shot. I know sort of already. I'm probably not going to enjoy it because I don't enjoy facing the camera. But, um, I don't know. It's, a, it's something I've been meaning to give a shot, and so I'm just going to do it. Um, and I'm going to go visit my friends, which includes you, Ooh. on the island next week. Wow. I know. Yawn, right? <laughs> Who wants to see me? Boring. <laughs> I'm bored already. <laughs> <laughs> just thinking about it. Uh, well, you're not invited to the pizza party. Yeah, I noticed I didn't uh, get an invite. Jeez. <laughs> you were invited to the E3 hangout. Pizza is just... Oh, whatever. If, it's, we'll take it offline. <laughs> um, and what I'm going to do better on is uh, I'm going to give my personal site a little bit more TLC. I haven't touched it in forever. There's a blog post section on it that just says coming soon and my about me just says I don't know why you're here kind of thing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, with a little disclaimer saying this page will forever remain under construction um, yeah so I'm gonna I'm gonna give it a little bit more attention I think I'm gonna convert a lot of our podcasts to a little bit more written form uh, things that I would want to write about so do a little bit of blog posting there uh, maybe just like copy paste a whole bunch of stuff from nwcalvin.dev and then put a little link at the bottom so I don't have to do any work yeah, yeah. and I take all the credit. Yeah, you know. That's what, that's what people um, do on the internet. Yeah, and then I'm going to tell my friends about it. <laughs> so that's that's mostly it. I, I don't know how much time I'll get for anything else. Um, but yeah, I'm just looking forward to being on the island and hang out with people who want to hang out with me uh, and not just because I bring pizza. So. Valid point. Yeah. <laughs> that seems like a good place to end. <laughs> we have the best endings on this show. They're so smooth. I know. <laughs> Bye. Bye. <laughs>